This is episode nine of The Chicken Charge with host Mary Parker. Mary's guest today is Dr. Margaret Loper of Georgia Tech's Institute for Information Security and Privacy. And Loper is also chief scientist of the Georgia Tech Research Institute's Information and Communications Laboratory. Loper teaches technical simulation courses, and she's also involved in projects that bring modeling and simulation into K through 12 education. A champion for women in research, Dr. Loper is continually working to encourage young women to take the leap into the field of science and engineering. Welcome to the Chicken Charge. All-in-One Security CEO Mary Parker celebrates the success of women in the world of business and in life. Mary's own humble beginnings in rural Mississippi led her to become one of the only African-American females running a multi-million dollar security firm. She is definitely the chicken charge. Here now is Mary Parker. Hello, hello, hello again. Here we are with the Chick in Charge podcast presented by Mary Parker and none other than her sidekick, Miss Sarah Smith with Road Hello, Solutions. Mary. Hi, Sarah. How are you today? Wonderful, wonderful. You look great. So do you, and I'm loving the pink lipstick. Thank you, my dear. Yes, and we have another wonderful, wonderful guest on our show we this sure afternoon. Do. We sure do. And Sarah, why don't you introduce Dr. Loper? Oh, my God. Dr. Loper, Dr. Margaret L. Loper is a the associate director of the Institute for Information Security and Privacy and chief scientist of the George Tech Research Information and Communications Laboratory. Did I get that right? Close enough. Close enough. <laughs> well, I was really interested in in your line of work, especially because Mary Parker is the CEO of All-in-One Security and she's just started to get into, you know, a big cybersecurity arm of her company, and I thought this would be a great, great conversation to have with an expert from one of the best schools in the world. You bet, you bet. And one of the most forward-thinking programs in the world at Georgia Tech. And you the really, really interesting thing in, to me, and I have such passion for, and that is meeting other women in security. Because as you well know, it's not a lot of us out here. So with that, Dr. Lofer, I'm going to turn it over to you and just have at it. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate the invitation. Uh, so I have been a member of the information, the uh, Institute for Information Security and Privacy since it stood up a couple of years ago. There are a number of associate directors that are responsible for different parts of the cybersecurity you know, ecosystem. So the part that I am working is in trust. And so people don't always think about trust as being part of the cybersecurity mm-hmm. problem. Um, so it's easy to think about policy. It's easy to think about you know, the, the security, low-level security right. aspects. Um, so we got interested in trust a number of years ago when I started to get, um, look into the Internet of Things. Right. And one of the things that drove me to trust was the idea that as we are surrounded by billions of things in this IoT, you know, ecosystem, we're going to have to delegate decision-making to some of those machines because we will not be able to 
you know, monitor and, and uh, control all of them. And so in that inevitable future, um, how do we trust machines? How do we trust machines when they're, you know, collecting data from sensors uh, in the world? And how do we trust them to make decisions for us? So that kind of drove me into this whole area of what does trust really mean? Oh, that's so Great. interesting. Want to hear more? Yeah. Well, what I can say is that you know the, it's been an interesting um, discovery over the past um, several years uh, that we've been looking at this topic, um, mainly because trust doesn't mean you know just one thing to one person, right? right. Uh, what we found is that there are people who are very interested in trust when it comes to things like microelectronics and chip design. You know, how do you um, trust that there are no back doors or, you know, counterfeit parts or whatever in, in a piece of hardware? Um, there are people who are very interested in trust when it comes to things like blockchain that, you know, is very popular right, right now, right? right. So in just the store and, and exchange of data. And then there are people who are very um, concerned about trust when it comes to how people trust technology. And an example of that is uh, autonomous systems. Uh, so how do you trust that those self-driving cars, uh, that those drones that are going that to be making your delivery, how do you trust that they are going to behave and operate in the way in which you expect them yeah, to. That's, that's a great topic, uh, one that I've not explored yet. But speaking of the drones, I, last week I was reading in one of the papers where uh, over in Asia, they have created the drones large enough that two to four passengers can actually ride in. Do you see that happening in the United States or worldwide anytime soon? Well, I'm not a drone expert. But I do hear people talk about that, right? Is, and I've probably read some of the same articles you have, um, which make you think it's not just self-driving cars, but it's self-driving, you know, uh, airplanes. Right. Um, and right. as a form of uh, commuting <laughs> across Atlanta. That will be kind of interesting, won't it? If you are talking about trust and machines, um, you're applying something human, really human, to something that is absolutely not human mm -hmm. in any way. So how, those two worlds are very far apart. Mm -hmm. How do you make, how do you connct them? So that, that is one of the challenges in this okay. area, right? Okay. Is how do you, because with humans and even with some um, robots, they have perception. Obviously humans have perception. Some robots have perception, right? right. Sight, hearing. Uh, and oftentimes, in, in trust decisions, we need those perceptions, right? It's not just a single piece of data, but it's the context of the environment that you're in as to whether you make that trust decision. And so, there, you know, what does trust mean in something like robots or autonomous systems is, is uh, one challenge. But when you think about just machines that are collecting data and communicating with, with each other to make a decision, um, you know, how do you start to encompass some of those, um, you know, sensory types of information and context information? How do you represent that in a way that um, you can make that trust decision? So there are different techniques which, um, you know, we can explore at another time if you're interested. Um, but, you know, things just as simple as um, feedback, you know. 
when two yeah. machines interact. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you can give, the, you can score them. How well was that exchange? Right. And uh, through that reputation, be able to learn something right. about how other systems, you know, whether they do or do not trust that particular machine. I was reading an article that Tara sent me with that featured three women from Georgia Tech, and Margaret, Dr. Loper was one of them. one of them. <laughs> yeah. So. So that was an interesting, it was um, a, an article that was written um, uh, in celebration of women, uh, both that have a research, you know, doing some kind of research, but are also involved in professional education. So at Georgia right. Tech, they yeah. have a school of professional education. And so the three, the three women that were interviewed, we both um, teach as well as um, have a research role. So gotcha. yes, um, Myrtle is the industrial hygienist. Uh, the work that I do is actually in the area of modeling and simulation. Right. Um, how many male male How many male teachers are there to the women? Like, what's that ratio like over there? Well, I don't know what the exact ratio is, There's but it's more. <laughs> but it is. It's a, It's what you would expect. Right. That there are um, a small number of women in compare in comparison to the large number of men that that traditionally teach STEM topics. Mary had a um, lovely woman uh, on her show several weeks ago that was indicating, talking about how Georgia itself was putting money to bring in scientists, and they weren't really bringing in, they haven't actually brought in any women scientists. And to that point, yeah. scientists is still, you know, still very, very male dominated. I have been in the security industry now for a little over forty years, so I know that you know what it was like then. However, it was more physical security than intersystems integration. But this cybersecurity world to have women represent there is just absolutely amazing. What do you think the future look like for us um, in the cyber world? They're not separate than other security, but cyber information sharing. How do you think we will be impacted, and how do you, you do you think you'll see a change in women entering the security industry now that cyber is on such high high top priority topic? Well, I would hope that more women are going to uh, to enter the field, that you'll obviously see a growth in that. But I think that um, cybersecurity faces the same problem that most, you know, computer science, engineering disciplines face, and that is when there are not role models um, that young girls can look up to um, and, and see themselves, right, in, in that kind of career profession then it becomes very hard, it, it's harder to recruit them, right? Because they see role models and they see, um, you know, family members and peers uh, in, in other sorts of disciplines. And so that becomes something that's easy for them to kind of associate you know, their future with. So I think that for cybersecurity, one of the, one of the um, uh, motivations that we might use for trying to um, attract more young girls um, is, you know, a couple of things. One, um, I think it's well known uh, in literature that young women um, oftentimes have a hard time picturing themselves in engineering fields because what they want to do is they want to have a great impact 
on on mm-hmm. people and on their community and on the world. And so, as you said, cybersecurity problems are only going to grow and and become more impactful to our homes, to our communities. So if we can communicate that to, to young women, that these types of careers are ones that will actually impact, you know, their neighborhoods and, and their families, maybe that will be motivation. But I also think that, you know, sometimes just appealing to, um, and I found this in um, lots of areas, obviously, not just um, cybersecurity, but when you can help young women think, help them think about problems you know what is it that they want to solve you know instead of saying you need to be a computer scientist or you need to be an electrical engineer if you can help them vision what is the problem that they want to solve and then help them back into what are the technical stem fields that get them there and um, you know so an er uh, example that I used in the article that you read was about food, um, food production, right? Right. That sometimes it is not about trying to, to um, you know, encourage a, a young woman that, oh, you should be, you know, industrial engineer without any concept of how that connects to, you know, what her passions and, and thoughts are. But if it's about feeding people and it's about taking care of her local community, right. then you can help them see, ah, uh, Okay, you're interested in you know this general area of agriculture. Yeah. Well, now let's help you see where you know being a mathematician um, for optimization or being an industrial engineer or you know something like that can help them you know fulfill both of those, both what their passion is as well as you know getting more girls into um, these STEM fields. This is uh, this is very interesting, and I'm sitting here having a couple of aha moments. A few years ago, I wanted to take a couple of acres at my, of my property and start this gardening, organic growing. But I wanted to use the STEM concept because when bringing the boys and girls out there, and this idea came from my dad. My dad was, um, we were farmers. He didn't have education, but no one could use that triple beam scale better than he. I declared that he was a mathematician. My mother had all these other skills. But I can see these children coming out this time of year, springtime, to do the clearing, engineering, some of the, and the planting, but the measurements to be able to go into a field and measure enough grain and use your mathematical skills to determine how much food you're going to have grow. I see that it's so, I think it's just so important that Kids began feeling and touching mm-hmm. the things that they're doing today. With all the courses that they've taken out of school, the physical education, home economics, they're not feeling. They're not right. touching enough things That's to understand what it is that That's they're doing. That's such a good point. Yeah, so so I'll, I'll take your, your example one step further. Um, I happened to go to the Ag Atlanta conference that okay. was here in town a couple of weeks ago. The reason is that my daughter is an um, uh, an urban agriculture urban farmer, um, and um, so we went, and I was there just to learn. You know, she was there uh, as part of the community. I was there just as uh, good for her, <laughs> just for to her. just to learn something, and something that I didn't even think about that was even closer to um, uh, 
kind of one of the um, another emerging um, uh, topic uh, in, in addition to cybersecurity is um, data analytics. And so mm-hmm. one of the things that they talked about is um, not only you know how you describe the problem, but now what if you want to help those um, get those kids to think about you know what crops produce, you know what what is the yield, what is the growing period. You know what is the community buying? Yeah, you know yeah, what are yeah. there? What is the demand for that particular crop? How much does it cost? How you know frequently? You know, are you going to be turning over particular crops? In right, so all of that becomes it's math, right? absolutely. And so if you don't tell them it's math, right. <laughs> but you tell them <laughs> yeah. that this is what this is the problem, this is the right. puzzle you need to figure out. Right. Then what you do is you back them into, and if you think about you know your farm, and then you know many farms around the the urban you know farms around uh, Atlanta, and doing that for everybody. And then all of a sudden you get into a data analytics problem, kind of a big data problem, where then they start to learn, you know, uh, even more interesting skills that are going to benefit them, you know, throughout their professional career. Absolutely. And I must share with you the idea of doing that came when my husband and I, my then husband and I, just decided to do a verbal a survey in West End. Because I kept saying these, they're not exposed to enough. I wonder how many kids really know where French fries come from. So we went to a McDonald's and we were talking to the children about French fries. Do you know where they come from? Yes, French fries come from McDonald's. Right. Well, what about your green beans? They come from a can. Right. That was what they thought. End results. And I said, no, we've got to get the kids out here. They've got to play in the right. dirt and you know, begin planting and canning and setting up systems and processes, I said, at the end of the day, they will be engineers, they will be scientists because they're gonna create things in there. So all of that was really, really good. Let's continue on here. You have (laughs) such an exciting life and your stories are just phenomenal. Congratulations. And welcome to this world of the chick in charge. And having said that, if you look back on your life today, what are some of the things, maybe a couple of points, that you would say to your younger self? When I was thinking about this question, um, uh, as, as many women do, right, what would you go back? What would I tell my daughter? What would I tell young women who are, um, you know, just starting in their career? Um, some of the things that I came back to were things that I think you, many women, resonate with many women, and that is... Um, you know, be more confident in yourself. You know, don't sit at the back of the room, sit at the table. Um, yes, it's okay to listen, but, but you know, use your voice. You know, have confidence in being able to speak up and, and voice your opinion. Um, so I think that, that a lot of things that, that I would tell my younger self is, um, you know, don't be afraid to say no, you know believe in yourself more uh, than you you know than you think you do yeah that's that's great advice and you know one of the things that I work with my young people with is to knows are good sometimes because you don't always know what to do with the yes at that moment so there's lots of training that goes on but to also not accept no as a rejection right 
You know, one of my pastors taught a sermon on uh, no doesn't mean, no is not a rejection, it just means not now. And so you can keep working at that and turn it into a yes. This this is great stuff. Mm, yes. This is really great stuff. Anything you want to interject now, Sarah? I'm, I'm really curious about um, Dr. Loper's teaching because I think that when you're in front of a group of new students, it can be at the beginning. Like every time, do you get nervous when you go and you walk in and you have a new group? And then you maybe find your rhythm along the way. Teaching is such a great, yeah. such an amazing field to me. So that's the, that's the first time anybody's asked me that question before. <laughs> um, so yes and no. So I teach two types of classes. I teach a master's class, and I also teach professional education classes. And so those are, you know, adults coming back, right. um, you know, while they're working to, um, to uh, gain new skills. Um, I would say that in the beginning, um, the, yeah, I mean, that first day when you kind of kick things off, there is a right. tendency to, you know, you don't know who the audience is, right. especially professional education. You don't know who they are. You don't know kind of what background they're coming from, right. what they're trying to get out of the class. Yeah. Um, but that tends to, you know, to work its way out after, you know, about by lunchtime, you're you're fine. Um, with the the master's class, I mean, I think that you I always feel like, you know, they're coming in definitely not... Um, you know, with as much knowledge about the the topic area as me, right? Uh, so there's probably less, you know, less of that, you know, feeling of nervousness when right. when going into those classes. Have you ever had a class that you taught a certain group of students that you just loved and was sad when it was over with? Because sometimes groups of students really gel, and they have great great arcs and nice interchange has, has that ever happened with you well yes and um the the most enjoyable classes are, are those classes when the students actually ask questions and, right and talk right yeah you know there's nothing worse than sitting in a, a room and talking you know <laughs> lecturing for you know hours right. and everybody's looking at you like you know they, they wish that they could leave leave yeah um, so yeah, I mean those classes that are that are most enjoyable that you you know are sorry to see end are those in which the students will raise their hand and just ask, and I think that that is that's another question or, or suggestion that I also um, give young women and I would give myself, you know, going back in time and that is um, don't be afraid to ask questions because oh, that's I think, such a good point. I yes. think often it is. Time, a good point. Yeah. It is. We're afraid to ask because we think it'll make us look dumb instead of just realizing that, you no. know, it's just a question. It's just a question. Just a question. It's the opposite, I think. Yeah. It makes you look inquisitive and you're wondering how, how to solve a problem. And both of you were talking about, you know, go back to the source. You've yeah. got to dig, dig, yeah. dig, dig, dig. So, Shirley Franklin, I remember when she was mayor. Uh, we were at a conference, and she talked about the fact that we, as women, don't assert ourselves enough. We don't ask enough questions. We take too much for granted. She made an offer at that luncheon, and no one went up. I started speaking from the back of the room. I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming. <laughs> I'm not afraid to come on stage and ask for what it is I want. 
I went on stage and asked her for open door access to her office. And she stood there. Wow. She says, Mary Parker, you've got it. Wow. And to this day, <laughs> we're still friends. I call her a friend. That's um, brilliant and story. she was she was really wonderful as it related to uh, women in business. Just she was pro woman yeah. all the way, and I love her for that. Right, right. We were what kind of we were discussing a little earlier talking about fundraising, and does do you a lot of professors have a role in fundraising? Sometimes they go and they meet donors or they talk to companies. Do you ever do anything like that? Oh, yes, it's an important part of, of our job. Right, and you don't get trained to be a fundraiser. You just have to go along for the ride. Yes, so, so the type of fundraising that um, is part of our job, it may be an academic and academic research, um, it's a lot about trying to help com to communicate you know solutions to problems right right instead of just raising money for maybe a foundation or or a, a worthy goal ours is about you have a problem how to how can we solve your problem right and the, you, it is very true that you're not trained to do that and I think that it's very hard for um, uh, scientists and engineers because uh, oftentimes we're introverts, and so it's hard to kind of get outside of your, you know, your shell to to go do that. But the more you do it, the more you realize that it really is just about creating a relationship, right? Right. right. Mm -hmm. You know, with potential sponsors. And and one of the the best things that I heard from a um, uh, from a sponsor at one point was, you know, I'm tired of people just coming into my office and saying, you know, here's the solution, fund me. I want somebody to come in and ask me what my problem is. Right. You know, what are my biggest problems mm -hmm. and what keeps me up at night? Mm -hmm. And if you start with that, I'm going to start telling you, you know, we're going to have a much better um, uh, conversation because, you know, you're going to listen to me. And and then you will start to, to think about how what you do, you know, can be used to solve my problem instead of the other way around. You right. know, I have a solution and, and right. yeah, looking for, you know, right. for any problem that I might, you know, hardwired into. I've done academic fundraising and always loved uh, working with the faculty and going out to a company and talking to someone, a CEO or a CFO or a CIO and asking them, my mentor, he, he was a, he was a logistics professor, operations and logistics. And he said, I always ask them what is their pain? And he was my mentor. And the same way that you ask, you know, what are you looking to do? What's your goal? What's keeping you from your goal? That was what he, he taught me to do too. So I think that it's interesting that, um, you have to go out and really, it's like, consult, it's consulting. It's, it's really rich consulting. Um, how do you represent the school in that way when you are, are you allowed to say, we're gonna do that for you or do you have to go back and get more support from the faculty or how does that work? So I work at the Applied Research Institute at, at Georgia Tech. 
Uh, and, um, you know, we're, I'm very fortunate because there's lots of, just like, you know, campus and professors, we have a lot of really smart people um, that work there and people who specialize in all, you know, all types of, of disciplines. And so um, when we're, you know, talking to a potential customer uh, and trying to understand what his or her problems are, yeah. it is often, you know, if, if it is a problem that we have actually solved before, then it's quite easy to, you know, say this is how we would go about doing it. But oftentimes what it really requires is going back, working with a group of people to come up with what is the best solution and then coming back, you know, talking to the customer again. And so in that sense, it's, you know, you are building a relationship. It's not just a one, you know, kind of fire and forget, you know, cold call kind of here's, right. the, here's the solution. But it really is working with that person and helping them to understand that, you know, we have people who can, you know, can work to figure out what is the best solution given the constraints you have, right? Time, budget, you know, resources that, that they have. And so, um, yeah, so it's never a, a one person, you know, kind do, of. Do you ever you know. pull your students in on these solutions? Oh, we always, yeah, oftentimes use um, oh, that's students. that's great. That's yeah. great. That's great. Yeah. I was actually meeting with some students this morning. Uh, before I came um, to speak with y'all, uh, some pro a project that they're doing for us. So um, it's always, that's actually a very rewarding part of the job is being able to work with students because you can help them realize a potential that they didn't necessarily, that they couldn't see in themselves. And you're guiding that along, which is so fantastic. It really is. And uh, the other thing is, you know, we're, we're talking to millennials as well. And for them to be, to have access to someone like yourself within their classes is just incredible. And I know you're feeding them really good stuff. So that's great. And I congratulate you on, on maintaining your, your position here in this male-dominated industry. Sometimes they don't know, but they really, really do need women on their team. And one of the things as I go around the country talking to, uh, to people, I'm really encouraging the collaboration with, with uh, women, be it women-owned businesses or consultants or what have you, because we do bring a difference to the table. In this world of security, what's one of the greatest attributes you believe that you bring to the industry? Hmm. Well, so I think one of uh, an asset is that I like um, to kind of look at what's coming down the road. Um, kind of uh, someone described it recently as, you know, futurist. Right. Um, you might call it strategist. Um, but, I mean, that's the whole reason that I got actually interested in trust in the first place. It's being able to, you know, to read and kind of see trust. what's coming down, um, you know, what's coming, what's inevitable. Uh, and so that actually led me into creating several internally funded projects uh, at work, um, one on trust, one on Internet of Things, one on smart cities. Uh, because And these were things that, that, you know, started probably seven years ago or so, yeah, seven years or so ago, um, when it wasn't really the kind of the fad that it is now, right? 
And so I think that um, being able to see and also see the application. Oftentimes when you're working um, in an academic environment, um, people are very interested in being, you know, kind of pushing the state of the art and what is solving the unsolved problem. But they do it for the sake of solving the problem, not necessarily applying that to somebody's real-world problem. Um, and so I think the kind of that combination of, you know, kind of digital strategist um, uh, aspects and, and um, working with people who have real-world problems are, you know, are, are um, positive attributes. There's just more and more and more oh, I know. coming down the pike. Yeah. So in terms of those projects, articles in particular, mm-hmm. where would I go to find some of that? I would love to read some of your writings. Uh, Google. <laughs> Google you, okay. <laughs> Isn't that where you go for everything these days? Um, so on Google, you can um, uh, go to Google Scholar uh, if you've never tried that before. So Google just gives you the general, you know, uh, kind of view of, of information, but Google Scholar takes you into, you know, um, uh, more, I won't say, it's not always academic, but it is, um, you know, conference papers and journal articles and magazine articles and, you know, technical reports and things that um, would tend to be of interest to, you know, a smaller group of people. Right. That's great. Or a smarter group of people. Or make you smarter. Right. Well, if, right. You're, if you're looking for a particular, you know, topic like trust, well, you can definitely Google and you will find some interesting things. That's really things. fascinating. Yeah. If you yeah. Get, then if you go to, you know, um, uh, different um, research types of articles in, in Google Trust, then it just takes you a level down in terms of detail, um, which not everybody's interested in reading. Well, Let me ask you one great. more quick question, if I can. What other educational institutions are are donating or are putting as much resource into cybersecurity and information analysis like like Georgia Tech? Are there any like are there your peers where who would they be? One or two even. Well, I mean, uh, there's a, any number of really top tier schools are you know doing uh, work in in cybersecurity. Um, you know, I think if you look at, you know, Stanford and mm-hmm. MIT and Caltech and, and schools that, that George Tech is typically compared to, they probably all have extremely strong cybersecurity programs. Do you think there's something about tech that stands out a little bit more or stands out as makes us a little bit more individualized? I'm really proud of of living in the city with Georgia Tech here. Yeah, we've got yeah. so I mean, much here. It's amazing. I would say the thing that makes Georgia Tech stand out as compared to to many universities is um, GTRI, is the Applied Research um, Institute. Um, and the reason is because we um, are still faculty members. We're research faculty, not teaching faculty at the university. Um, but, you know, we have, we are working on solving, you know, the, the nation, some of the nation's most challenging um, national defense problems, including cybersecurity. And so there's an interesting um, uh, relationship, collaboration that that you find through things like the Institute for Information Security and Privacy, where you're bringing those together. It's not just faculty and students, 
but you're bringing together professional researchers okay. who are looking at these applied problems, right? And so it's the the collaboration of all of those pieces where um, you know GTRAD does far more you know work with uh, national defense and and customers, but being able to actually reach across and get the world's you know foremost expert in you know, whatever particular topic, right. and have them work on your project for a particular customer brings, you know, uh, something um, to that customer that other organizations can't provide. So Excellent. I think uh, it is really that that um, uh, collaboration across the Georgia Tech ecosystem mm-hmm. um, that is unique and novel and makes us stand out. We were, we met with um, Dr. Winky Lee, and one of the things that he talked about was that the workforce, there's, there's not enough people to fill all these jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, going back to women in these fields, is Georgia Tech doing anything in particular to focus on bringing women into its programs? So Winky is probably the best um, uh, one to to communicate what those specific programs are. But I think is uh, Georgia Tech wide. We yes, we are. Um, there's um, very much a recognition at you know on the academic side. Um, you know record numbers of of women uh, being accepted to tech and graduating in STEM fields as ever before, right? So there's definitely that recognition on the academic side. Um, on the GTRA side, there absolutely is a many programs in terms of how do we recruit and using Georgia Tech as, you know, as, um, that pipeline, right? How do we recruit, um, those women that are graduating to come into GTRA to work on these, um, these hard problems and solve them um, for customers. So, um, you know, so yes, I think Georgia Tech is really trying to address this problem. Um, I think the the challenge really is, and that probably Winky um, spoke to, and, and I've seen in, in any number of, of um, uh, meetings that I've been to, is that because there are so few women that are graduating in right. these fields, uh, they, you know, are really sought after by so many different right, organizations. Right. And so it becomes incredibly hard. You right. know, the competition is stiff, right? Yeah. And I think that this comes back to then having, you know, positive role models. Because when a young woman is graduating and, you know, she has five or six offers or more, right, from, from universities, from research organizations, from industry, um, you know, she has her pick of where she wants to go. Right. There's lots of things that can come into to play in terms of, of how she makes that choice. But when you look in an organization, um, you go for an interview, and if you don't see any women there, and you don't see any women in leadership roles there, then you don't see, you can't see yourself there. Right. Right. There's no role models. You right. don't see a path for yourself. And so, um, you know, in some respects, it's kind of chicken and egg. If you can't hire women, you can't permit them into leadership roles. But, um, but it does become, um, you know, very stiff competition for gotcha. these young women. Um, so we just have to figure out ways that we can help them see 
um, you know, the, the cybersecurity problems are impactful and important to them, important to their future, right. and um, hopefully encourage more of them to come in and pursue those types of degrees. Well, I believe what's definitely going to help increase that is our visibility. I say that because years ago, and, and I still do not as much, I would go to at least four HBCUs every year and bring career awareness within the security industry to the criminal justice students because they don't realize the opportunities that are out here. Even today, I'm appalled. When I go into one of the schools, they're going, you know, security is that guy walking around, you know, right. with that big clock, and I'm going, you're not old enough to remember that. But security now is part of the whole technology evolution. And so with that, how do you, and I know that you're mentoring, you're doing all of that on campus, but aside from campus, what are some of the things you're doing to uh, mentor or increase the awareness, and are you being intentional with women? Uh, definitely always been intentional with women. Um, uh, you know, over the years have done any number of different, hosted, uh, organized different types of, um, uh, you know, workshops or, or meetings or, you know, events, right, with um, uh, middle school girls wow. or um, science fairs and in um, different types of uh, groups of, of young people. Um, most recently, I was actually invited to come speak at my alma mater, my um where I got my bachelor's degree at, at Clemson yeah. University. And they have um, a program uh, for women and minorities in, in engineering. And they wanted to, they, they formed a panel, it was the second year, um, that they formed a panel of women alumni um, that could come speak, you know, about yeah. their engineering careers. And um, and so Fantastic. it was yeah so it was really quite interesting to you know to see the the um, young women uh, in the audience and That's the kind so of great that questions you did that. Yeah. Yeah. especially at home good, it's such a good yeah. question yes. Mary it's so great yeah well that's wonderful is there anything else that you would just like to add with with our audience. Is okay, there anything yeah. else that you'd like to add to, with our audience today? I don't think so. I mean, it's, I've, I've really enjoyed the conversation. It's it's great so that you're yeah that you're doing this and and you know I do think it is incredibly important um, you know for women um, to actually uh, hear and see other women that are in these career fields. And so your podcast, I'm sure, will. Um, have impact in this area to help women, you know. We, we are hoping that. We are really, really <laughs> that's our goal. Thank you. Yes. And we need you. to hire my, yeah. Dr. Loper to come in. <laughs> this was part one, and I'm sure you'll be back. I'm sure you will be back. As we are developing these podcasts, we are looking, of course, we want to get the, um, increase the awareness, but we want the women who can come in and offer those nuggets of wisdom that's going to have an impact on the lives of those listening and especially mm -hmm. the women audience because yep. we are the chicks in charge no pun intended and we did have our first guy on today and we we're very very excited <laughs> and by the way he's also in cyber cybersecurity. Really, so we're really having great. fun you were fantastic today, Sarah, as Oh, Mary, always. thank you. You're thank such you a nice, so much. you're so easy to work with. Yeah, this is great. I, I've had so much fun, and 
We'll be calling on you again. Thank you so much, Dr. Loper, for being here today. Thank you for having me. And this concludes our session of The Chick in Charge for today, Monday, April the 4th, 2020. April 9th. April 9th. Okay, we'll just strike (laughs) all of that. (laughs) It's okay. We can make mistakes because when you make a mistake, you learn from it. Absolutely. It's April 9th, 2017. No, 2018. Wait a minute. I did that on purpose. So listen to us at, at The Chick in Charge on Google Play, iTunes, and SoundCloud. All right, we're good. We're out. Subscribe to The Chicken Charge at thechickincharge.com. Get a free download of Mary Parker's Tips for Success, tips that'll make short work of some of today's most challenging issues facing female business owners. Thanks for listening to The Chicken Charge.